guilty. It's a verdict that none of us want to hear, but we all fear. And I don't mean guilty in front of a judge for some crime. I mean guilty in front of the judge for our sin. We all have guilt. We all carry some regret. We all have shame. Some of it is from something that happened years ago. Some of it we've been carrying around, dealing with for decades. Some of us carry guilt, shame, and regret that uh, no one else knows about, right? No one else knows that we're dealing with. No one else knows we're shouldering it. In fact, I think it's one of those things in the junk drawer, in our spiritual junk drawer that we've been talking about in this series of, of not that uh, we have not just been meaning to get rid of it. I think our guilt, our shame, and regret is one of the things that we don't even know how to get rid of. Like we're not sure how to deal with it. We're not sure exactly what to do with it. And I think this is the same for non-Christians and Christians alike. I think it impacts both. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this might be one of the reasons why. In fact, you just might feel like there is something in your past that you are guilty of something that you could never be forgiven for. In fact, you might even feel a sense of shame to even imagine coming into the presence of God. And maybe even the idea of coming to church, maybe even walking into a church building or even clicking on a live stream actually brings you shame because when you think about God, you think about shame. Maybe even someone told you that, that you're too far gone, too bad, too messed up, too broken for God. And Christians, for some of us, it's not much different. Maybe we've made the decision to follow Jesus, but there are a lot of Christians who still carry a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, and a lot of regret, who feel like their past really hasn't been dealt with, it hasn't really been forgiven. And sometimes Christians feel like if we could just come to church enough, if we could just give enough, if we could just volunteer enough and serve enough, if we could just sacrifice enough, if we could just do enough good, then we could pay back to God for all the bad things that we did in the past. You see, one of the problems we have when it comes to, comes to our guilt and our shame and regret is that we just can't imagine that God could love us considering all the things we've done. I mean, considering our past. Because here's what you need to know. Shame, guilt, and regret are great liars. And they try to convince us of some things that just frankly aren't true. But we buy them hook, line, and sinker. Here's one of the lies that shame, regret, and guilt tell us. There's no way a good God could love a bad me. Have you believed that lie? There's no way a good God could love a bad me. That, that there's no way, if, there, if God is this, this holy and perfect God in heaven, then there's no way that he could love a bad me considering all the things I've done. I mean, Carter, listen, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You didn't know me when I was 19. You just don't know. 
You don't know my 20s. You just don't know what I did. There's just no way. I'm just too far gone. And listen, I'm just going to have to shoulder this guilt. I'm just going to have to carry it. I'm just going to have to take the weight of this burden and just go on because you have no idea. You don't know the baggage I'm carrying. You don't know the shame and the guilt that's on these shoulders. There's Carter. Listen, there's just no way that a good God could love a bad me. Well, if we're going to deal with this lie and we're going to deal with regret, shame, and guilt, then we're going to have to deal with some of the things that bring us this regret, shame, and guilt. And let's, let's be honest. Some things, some things create a weight of regret and shame and guilt that are just heavier than others. And we got to name them if we're going to deal with them. What did you walk in carrying this morning? What did you get up at home sitting there carrying? For some of us, carrying betrayal. You betrayed somebody. You turned on somebody. You stabbed them in the back. You betrayed a spouse, a friend business partner and it eats away at you for some of you your guilt is because you betrayed somebody for others it's one that's close by it was lying you lied to save your own skin to cover yourself you lied and you hurt somebody because of it some of you might have even gotten up this morning, maybe you even walked in these doors or clicked on the live stream, and there's a lie right now that you're living, and you know it's breaking trust with someone, and you know it could hurt them. For some of us, many of us, our guilt and our regret and our shame is over sexual sin. And you cross boundaries that you know God didn't want you to cross when you were a teenager or when you were in college or before you were married or maybe even after you were married. And you're mad at yourself. You feel guilty because of your lack of self-control and you can't figure out why you couldn't do that. You feel like this, this makes you feel like you walk around with a scarlet letter on your chest. For others of us, it's addiction. And maybe it's one that's evident to everyone, like a drug addiction that everyone knows about, or maybe it's an addiction that you've tried to keep hidden, like a gambling problem or a spending problem or a drinking problem you've tried to keep under the table. For some of us, it's something much deeper, and it's something like pornography that we hope stays hidden because it could hurt so many people we love and destroy us. Maybe it's addiction. Still others of us have shame and regret because we were just plain mean. You're mean to somebody. You're mean to somebody in high school and you regret it. You've never told them you're sorry. 
You're mean to somebody that you love, mean to somebody in your family. You were mean to a waitress or to a waiter this past weekend. You were mean to a neighbor or you were mean to someone on social media. That's easy to do. And that zinger that you typed out, it felt good, but you regret it. And you've got regrets simply over being mean. And for others, just a secret. We have guilt, shame, regret over some secret sin. And if your family found out about it, it would destroy your family. It would destroy your marriage. It would destroy your business. It would destroy your, your career. Maybe it's some secret attitudes you've got about other people. Maybe it's a secret attitude you've got about people on the other end of the political spectrum. Or maybe it's a, a secret prejudice you have. Or maybe there's some secret racism about the things that you would never say but sometimes think. And it's just a deep, dark secret. And you feel great shame and regret and guilt over it. You're not sure what to do with what is deep down in here that no one else knows about. Now, Here's what's interesting about guilt and regret is they are, often, uh, they are often a part of our lives because of something we've done. But sometimes we carry shame not by what we have done, but because of what was done to us. And here's what I know. Some of you carry great shame this morning because of abuse. It's not because of what you did. Because you were sexually abused by someone you trusted and you thought loved you. You were verbally abused. You were told that you were nothing. You were told that you were no good. Some of you even had a parent who verbally abused you so much they told you they wish you'd never been born. I know that some of you carry great shame because of not what you did, but what was done to you. So, here's what I think happens. That no matter what guilt or shame or regret that you carried on your back, that you walked in in your backpack, this, here's the thing about regret, shame, and guilt, it's the junk drawer we carry with us everywhere we go. No matter what it is, no matter if I named it or if it's something that, that, that I didn't even think of that we didn't even talk about today. Let me tell you a second lie that the devil tries to tell us about it. Whatever yours is, mine is too bad. Oh, Carter, you hit the nail on the head. You named one of mine or, or you don't even know. Mine was one of those secrets and it, it was way worse. than. Th and this is the lie that we believe that mine that my thing, my guilt, my shame, my regret, my past, my sin is just too bad. It is so easy to believe that, that, that there are other people out there who don't have a past, right? Here's what I want to tell you. They all do. Listen, here's what I, gosh, the band killed it this morning, didn't they? Come on, yeah, okay, I know it's been a heavy subject. Can we just say that, right? The band killed it. Rod, that was awesome. Rod's got a past. Ben, I loved his spiritual leadership this morning. Ben's got a past. Jenna, she killed that song along with Jamie. The holy water, man, I was ready to get baptized myself again. They got a past. Teresa's singing 
God's music, country music, Carrie Underwood to open up. God's music, country music. Come on, can I get some help here? She's got a past. Me, the pastor, I've got a past. We've all got a past. We've all got mistakes. We've all got things that we've got regrets and guilt over. And the, so the path forward to get, over, for, to get over our shame, guilt, and regret is to, to, to not believe and reject these lies and cling to the good promise of God about our guilt. So if you feel guilty, shame, ashamed, or regretful, I want to tell you God offers some good news for you. The writer of Hebrews speaks specifically to this issue, and this was a community who understood guilt, who knew guilt. Now, so guess who Hebrews was written to, the book of Hebrews? Just guess. Hebrews, good. That's great. I'm sure you got it at home there too. But not just Jewish people. It was written to Hebrew Christians. It was written to Jews who had become Christians. But many of them probably still kind of, you know, for them, it wasn't an either or like us. They lived, were continuing to live into this new faith in Christ, trying to balance it with their, the faith of their ancestors in the Jewish faith. And Hebrews was probably written sometime even before the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. The temple that we read about in the New Testament still was around for uh, 70 years after the birth of Christ. So about 35 or 40 years even after Jesus' death and resurrection. So that meant that Jews were still practicing uh, this complex system of, of sacrifice in the temple, and none were more important and none were more complex than what happened within the temple, the special room in the temple called the Holy of Holies. So if, uh, if, you, were, if you were at the temple, this is kind of a diagram of what it might look like. Now, I taught extensively, extensively about this in September in our base camp series. You heard Jeff talk about that with, with Seth. So if you, you can go back and watch that online, but you can also, we've got a base camp study for uh, newcomers, a base camp Bible study starting at the end of February, to, if you kind of want to dig in deeper to this. But the temple was kind of like Rooms within rooms within rooms within rooms or courtyards within a courtyard and a room within that courtyard There was a special there was a place that Gentiles could go called the court of the Gentiles Anybody was welcome there and then an inter court inner courtyard where only Israelites could go only Hebrews could go and then Only Jewish men could go and then uh, then one inside of that that only priests could go But in that special room called the holy of holies or the most holy place the high priest only went once a year to make a special offering for the sin of the people. Now, throughout the year, there were all kinds of offerings. There were grain offerings, peace offerings, guilt offerings, but then there was this big one for all the shame, guilt, and regret, all the sin of the people. And, he, I mean, he had to do some work in his own heart to, to go to this. He had to be in a right place with God because in this room wasn't just a room. This was where heaven met earth. This was where the presence of God dwelt on earth. So this high priest, once a year, was going before the presence of God to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And that he would go in behind, in behind this big, thick curtain to get in there. Now, it is this curtain that was torn in two from top to bottom when Jesus breathed his last breath. 
when Jesus is crucified, it is this curtain that is torn in two, signifying to everyone that now anyone can not only have access to the Holy of Holies, that anyone has access into the presence of God. Now, can you imagine what all the temple workers felt like the day after the crucifixion when they go into the temple and they saw the curtain had been torn down? What do you think they did? Probably put up a new curtain, right? The temple hangs around for another 35, 40 years after this. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. No, 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 people can't go in there. We can't go into that presence. We, we can't be in the presence of God because we're, we are not holy people. We are not clean people. So this, these Hebrew Christians, even, even these, these Christians with Jewish backgrounds that the writer is going to write to that I will read about in just a second, they would have had a very difficult time wrapping their head around this idea of unlimited and unfiltered access to God, to this special holy place, because sinful people just don't get to come into contact with the holy God. And the inner sanctuary, the most holy place, rec represented that. So uh, when I was in college, I got to go to the Vatican. Has anybody ever been to the Vatican? Anybody? If you're at home, write in the chat. Tell us what year you got to go to the Vatican. Um, now, it's pretty unbelievable. Pretty unbelievable. And I, listen, I was raised Southern Baptist boy. So I didn't know much about Roman Catholicism. And I, I didn't grow up with all the, you know, all the pomp and circumstance. But any Christian walks into the Vatican. And there is a sense of awe. There's a sense of reverence. I mean, there's so much history there. You're talking about this is in Rome, and, and we're reading about Rome in the New Testament, right? So, I mean, this is like 2,000 years of church history. It started here in that place. I mean, it, to go into the Sistine Chapel and look at this ceiling that Michelangelo painted. You can't take pictures. It's, there's reverence. Now, I, I remember going there, and there was like only certain sections you can go. You wouldn't walk in the Vatican and just start opening doors and walking down hallways with barriers, right? You and I wouldn't do that. We would understand like, hey, this is like a place. You don't just kind of willy-nilly run around the hallways and let, let me check in this closet and behind that office door. If you and I would feel that way in the Vatican, it was that times infinity for Hebrew Christians to think about the temple and this most holy place. I mean, you just wouldn't have access to this place. It has been so secure and so limited for so long, for thousands of years, and now all of a sudden it is open to the public? So they would be asking, so you're telling me that God's presence is now available to me? Don't you know I'm guilty? What changed in the equation? And the writer of Hebrews, this is the answer that we're going to read. It's not that the temple had changed, and it's not that God's holiness has changed. It's that your guilt is gone. Listen to what the writer of the Hebrews says to try to explain this to people. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, they would have said, what? You can have confidence to go into the most holy place. But he's like, but it's not a temple. It's not a building. You can have confidence to go into what that temple and what that building, what that room represented. You have confidence to go before the presence of an almighty, holy God by a new and living way opened for us 
through the curtain. That is his body. The curtain is what the writer of Hebrews says. When the curtain tore, it represented something that was happening not just in a physical building, but was happening in a spiritual realm that the body of Christ was being broken to open up a pathway for all of us into the presence of Almighty God. And you can have confidence to go before that. You can be confident, not because of what you've done, not because you're good enough, because you can stand on the blood of Jesus and you have been washed by him because his body was broken for you he made a way where there was no way you can be confident when you think about shame guilt and regret do you think about the word confident or do you think oh man if you just know what I've done the writer of Hebrews says I don't want you to think that way I want you to be confident to stand before the presence of God and then this is how he explains it. Now, just think about the temple and what I explained to you about the, the high priest and all that, because you've got to understand all that to understand what the writer's saying. The writer says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, we have the high priest once and for all, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings you can be fully assured because of your faith in Jesus. You can be fully assured having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Can somebody say amen? To cleanse us from a guilty conscience. If you've got guilt, if you've got shame, if you've got regret, I know it's real, but what the writer is saying is Jesus came and he died for you to cleanse you from that guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. It's so easy to say that if God really saw who I was or what I'd done, that he wouldn't like who I am. It's easy to believe that a good God couldn't love a bad me. But the story of Jesus is that he is the great priest who has gone before God on our behalf. And we put our faith not in us, but in him, in his mercy, in his grace, in his forgiveness. We can come before God with full assurance that his death cleansed us with all regret of all shame and all guilt so we say guilt get off of me shame get off of me Re regret get out of my rearview mirror I am pure I am cleansed I am whole I am holy and you know why because I'm his not because I'm so great not because you're so great not because you're passing my, because I am his and he is my great priest and he has gone before me once and for all and I can have full assurance that God does not look at me based on my past or what I have done. God looks at me based on the work of the great priest that he sent, his one and only son, to go for me. And then listen to how the writer finishes it out. So let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. We hold unswervingly to this hope. What are you holding on to? Are you holding on to your past? Are you holding on to your guilt? Are you holding on to that little voice that says, oh, you could never be forgiven for that. Remember how bad you were when you were 17? 
Or you say, no, I hold unswervingly to the hope that I profess, and I know that he is faithful, and I won't believe the lies. I won't believe the lies that mine is too bad. I won't believe the lies that a good God couldn't love a bad me. I will cling and hold unswervingly to the promise that he is faithful and that I am cleansed of a guilty conscience. Look here, men, look here. Brother, I know you made some mistakes. Ladies, look here. Sisters, I know you've got a past. But here's what Jesus wants you to hear. This is the truth, not the lie. Who you were is not who Jesus says you are. Who you were is not who Jesus says you are. You are not your past. You are not your guilt. You are not your shame. You are not your regrets. Who you were is not who Jesus says you are. And can I just be, have kind of a moment of confession? Too often, guys in my position, pastors and preachers, have tried to make people for years feel more guilty when they come to church and they just rail and rail and rail. And sometimes that's the way you feel when you come into to think about God. The devil will try to convince you that you are your worst self, that you can never overcome your past, that your sin will hover over you the rest of your life and that you are defined by your mistakes. Don't believe it for one second. Who you were is not who Jesus says you are. Here's the crazy thing. There's so many people that think that Christianity is about being good. So if you can't be good, you could never be a Christian because you're not good enough. Can I tell you something? We believe the exact opposite of that. <laughs> we believe that none of us are good but we are made good because he became good on our behalf. It's not that your sin didn't matter. It's not that your sin wasn't an affront to God. It's not that your sin wasn't a big deal. It's just that your sin is finished and paid for by the blood of Jesus. It's just done. It's just finished. It's just over. It was paid for at the cross when the great high priest came on our behalf. Who you were is not who Jesus says you are. You are not a betrayer. You are not a liar. You are not a sexual deviant. You are not an addict. You're not a meanie. You are not a secret sinner. And you are not your abuse. You're clean. You're pure. You're holy. And you have access to the perfect and holy creator of the universe because of the blood of Jesus.
So why in the world are you carrying around all this guilt, shame, and regret on your shoulders when today would be a good day to just lay it at the place where it was forgiven a long time ago at the foot of the cross and hold unswervingly to this faith and this hope that we profess. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are forgiven. Thank you that we are made whole, that we are redeemed, and that our guilt and our shame and regret is washed away. And I want to pray for my friends in this room. There are some in this room who have never, ever made the decision to follow Jesus. And today, you're knocking on the door of their heart. There's some watching today uh, on the live stream. They have never made that decision because they have thought that they couldn't be forgiven. And Lord, I pray that it becomes real today that they can lay their guilt and shame down at the foot of the cross. There's some of us today that have made that decision, but for whatever reason, we've been carrying this weight on our shoulders and we feel like we're trying to measure up to you. And Lord, maybe today it becomes real to us to just say, it's, it was done. And I'm going to hold on to that faith. And I'm not going to believe the lies. And there's some of us here today, God, that need to make the decision to be baptized, Lord, to exemplify the washing that has happened in our hearts. So, Lord, whatever is happening in this room, in homes, on back porches, all across this world that are watching, Lord, I, my prayer, God, is that, that, that the Holy Spirit would speak, Lord, that my voice would, would begin to cease in hearts, Lord, but your voice would begin to speak to hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to give you a chance, everyone, to respond today. It's a little different. Ben, at the beginning, asked you at home to grab a piece of paper. And if you're here, I hope you got one. And there's a couple ways you can respond today. It's just take that piece of paper, and I just want you to write on it your regret, your shame, your guilt. It's just for you. No one else is going to see it. When we leave today, there are going to be some fire pits for you to throw it into. And just say, it's done. It's just done there. For some of you, you're going to write it, hold it on, stick it in your pocket, and because you need to come up and do some other business, and maybe God's calling you to get baptized today, and you say, you know what, I, find, I did it, and I'm ready to, to show the world that what God has washed in my heart, I want to exemplify that. And Glenn is right over here at our baptism, and I want you during this closing song to come see her. And listen really close. If you've never made this decision, this is a decision that only you can make. And young people, I want, you to, I want you to listen. This is a decision that you gotta make for you and your parents and your grandparents can't make for you. God has no grandchildren, right? You don't get grandfathered into the kingdom because mom and daddy were Christians. This is a decision that you gotta say that God has forgiven my heart, my guilt, my shame, my regret, and I give it to Jesus. And during this closing song, I wanna invite you to make some decisions to write some things down or to come forward to be baptized and let God move in your heart. If you are at home, I just want you to, if, you, if you're interested in baptism or you're interested in talking to someone, if you just type the word baptism in there and we'll get with you and connect with you this week and um, see what God does in those conversations. So let's worship together.